Why do you believe what you believe? And yes, I could spout off 15 reasons why I believe the Quran was the word of God and all that stuff. Um, but the real reason was because I had to be, because of tradition. Mm-hmm. And so that started a journey where I wanted to actually believe something, not because I was supposed to, but because it was actually true. Welcome to the Uncharted Ministries podcast. Tom and Joanne Doyle here, and we are super excited today because we have a special friend with us, Abdu Murray, who is the founder and CEO of Embrace the Truth Ministry, and uh, he is an apologist, uh, gifted speaker, writer, and he grew up Muslim. He grew up Shiite Muslim. His family roots are from Lebanon. And he's going to share a story with you today. And what a story it is, Joanne, because he filmed for us on I Found the Truth. And what's happened with Abdus Murray? Oh, my gosh. That was released. Yes, 1.3 million views since um, Abdus video has been released. It is so powerful. So we encourage you to watch it. But Abdu, we're so excited to have you here today with us. One of the things I love about you is you are so brilliant. God has just given you so many gifts of eloquence and how you speak and so logically, but wrapped in with that is not only humility, but you are so relational right. and connect with people on a heart to heart level. So um, I'm excited for people to hear from you today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Well, thank you guys so much, Tom and Joanne. It's so f- wonderful to spend some time with you. Uh, you know, it's funny you said that in the introduction that I had humility, but after that introduction, it's hard to have that. So I'm going to pray for during the course of my time, I don't take anything you said a little bit too much to heart. Um, but thank you very much for the generous introduction. Oh, it's our privilege. So we have some questions for you. You know, the commercial, we have questions and you've got answers, right? So <laughs> I hope so. That's right. We would love to hear your story, your journey of how you came to faith in Christ. So you raised Muslim um, in a Muslim home. What started you on that journey to, to find out more? Well, um, originally, you know, it, it, it wasn't really so much as a journey to find out more as so much it was to uh, offer people more in terms mm-hmm. of uh, the place I grew up in was largely Christian. You know, back in the 80s, when I was growing up in the 90s, it was still fashionable to say you were a Christian, even if you didn't mean it. Um, which is not the, the case anymore. Now it's not so fashionable. Now it's not the kind of thing that people tend to hold on to that that, that label. In fact, that label's got a sort of an ill ill repute around um, these parts, as they say, um, <clears throat> especially evangelicalism. Well, a lot of Christians that I that I that I knew, or people who labeled themselves Christians, um, <clears throat> didn't really know why they believed what they believed exactly. So I started off by asking them why they were Christians, and they would tell me, "Well, I was raised that way," and I said, "That's not a good enough reason." Um, and uh, I was right in this sense that you can be in the right tradition, you can be in the right faith tradition, mm-hmm. um, and be born into that. My kids are born into a family that holds on to a Christian faith tradition. And we've taught them uh, the credibility the, uh, of the gospel and the ways of, uh, of, of, the, of the Lord, the, the Bible, and the credibility of the Christian faith. But we also have allowed them to have a no-question-off-limits um, environment where they can ask us any question. It will not be met with judgment. It will not be met with derogation. Rather, it'll be met with a response. I will have a response, but it'll be taken seriously. And it can be any question. It can be, Mm -hmm. Dad, I'm not so sure I believe this stuff anymore. Or what about this and that and these other issues? We want to have that. Well, I 
was the kind of person who said, you should have that kind of attitude, but you should embrace Islam when you consider that uh, there are other worldviews out there. Not really being super open-minded myself to the possibility that other religions or, or the Christian faith could be true. So I started out debunking the Christian faith. Um, even at a younger age, I would engage in these spiritual conversations with people. Um, but along the way, there were some Christians who actually knew what they were talking about when it came to not only why they believed in the gospel, but also challenging me on whether I should believe in Islam. Uh, and they didn't do it in a jerky way. They weren't combative. They weren't pointing out all the evils and the horror, horrors of this and that. They weren't doing that. I mean, that stuff came at some point. But for the most part, it was more of a question like, uh, why, why do you believe these things as well? And so there was some back and forth on that. And to make a long story just a little longer, what ended up happening was that there were these two guys who came to the, to the, to the apartment I was staying in at the University of Michigan, um, these two Baptist guys. And they came and they were going door to door in evangelism. And um, they were getting a lot of doors slammed in their face because not a lot of people in, in Ann Arbor were interested in talking with conservative evangelical Christians. But I was. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is awesome. You guys deliver. This is great. Uh, so they came into the house or to the apartment. And I made these two guys, me and my roommates actually made these two guys pretty uncomfortable for hours at a time. But they kept coming back and kept coming back. And so I was reading the Bible, not to believe it was true, but to, to, to find the flaws and the inherent contradictions in it. And I come across Luke chapter three, verses seven and following, where John the Baptist is talking to people who are coming to him and says, who told you to flee from the wrath to come? Of course, that's referring to God's judgment. And he says, do not even begin to think to yourself that you have Abraham as your father, as if their lineage alone would save them. For I tell you, God can raise up children of Abraham from the stones which basically means that your, your lineage isn't what's important. Truth is what's important. Now, I had been saying that to my Christian friends and to my non-Christian friends, people who were of other faiths as well, um, trying to get them to say that, you know, see, to see that, that um, tradition is not the real reason you should believe something. But I was confronted suddenly by John the Baptist's words because he was basically saying what I was saying, but he was pointing it at me. Like, why do you believe what you believe? And yes, I could spout off 15 reasons why I believe the Quran was the word of God and all that stuff. Um, but the real reason was because I had to be, because of tradition. Mm -hmm. And so that started a journey where I wanted to actually believe something, not because I was supposed to, but because it was actually true. I had full confidence Islam would win the day. But over the course of nine years, as I began to study the history, the theology, the uh, philosophy, and the uh, science, and how science backs up the Christian faith, I, I was really beginning to look and see and like, say, my goodness, this thing that I thought was wrongheaded maybe isn't so stupid after all. In fact, maybe it's actually compelling. And over the course of those nine years, I began to see more and more that the Christian faith wasn't just answering the intellectual questions with which I was wrestling, but also began to answer some of the existential issues that um, I began to wrestle with as well, including some key theological ones. And so that's what began the journey and sustained the journey. Um, it was a question for the theological, for the intellectual, for the emotional, and ultimately the, um, the big meaning questions uh, mm -hmm. of life that the Christian faith was answering in a way that I found surprising and surprisingly um, enticing, not just true, but truly beautiful and beautifully true. Mm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Abdu, I'm, I'm thinking about when you came to faith in Christ. And so that's been some time yeah. that's been covered. Do you find that the objections 
you had back then are still the same objections you run into. We're hoping that as our listeners are are tuning into this, that they're going to have an idea that I want to reach out to my Muslim friend or my neighbor or whatever. And yeah. so many people always will say, we're just lost. Where do you start? And, yeah. and so what were some of your objections? Yeah, yeah. So here's the good news. The good news is, is that when you have faith traditions that are thousands and thousands of years old, and they and, and they start to bang against each other, as the Christian faith and uh, Islam did um, early on in in the in the years of Islam. In fact, Islam was born into a milieu where there were Jews, Christians, uh, pagans, uh, all these kind of things. You had an interaction immediately with Islam and uh, Christianity, um, both in terms of in Arabia, but also in as, as Islam expanded. We, here's why that's good news. The good news is, well, the bad news is, is that Christians do, didn't do a great job of offering why they believed what they believed at that moment. Because had they, I wonder if we'd be uh, in the current mm-hmm. situation we are where Islam is as prominent as it actually is. But the good news is that um, when interact when faiths that old interact with each other, they kind of get the kinks out in terms of what they're arguing about pretty early on, and then it sustains over centuries, which means that all the objections and all the arguments tend to be old, and they tend not to change. Um, uh, having said that, there are some overarching issues that every Muslim will bring up. Um, and what does happen over time is as evidences come out in favor of the Christian faith, um, that there'll be new attacks on those particular evidences or slightly new takes. But I got to say, honestly, they're all variations on a theme uh, or on really f- four main themes. And here are the four main themes. And I had all of these, by the way. Every single one of these are, 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 are objections I once made. One, the Bible can't be trusted. The Bible's been changed over time. It was once revealed by God, but became so corrupted that it could not be trusted. And the Quran was revealed by God in order to bring us back to true monotheism, the monotheism of Jesus, of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Noah, you name it. So that's one, the Bible can't be trusted. Number two, the Trinity makes no sense. And in fact, is more like tritheism than it is monotheism. Mm, Uh, Number three, God, Jesus cannot be God. In fact, the, the, the two nuances uh, that are sub-arguments is one, it's impossible for Jesus to be God, and two, Jesus didn't even claim to be God, even in the New Testament. So those are two sub-things. So one, Bible can't be trusted. Two, Trinity is nonsense. Three, Jesus can't be God. And four is the cross is the ultimate mm-hmm. um, insult and derogation of God's majesty and his greatness. And, and and the cross would be the kind of thing that simply either A, doesn't make sense because it doesn't really accomplish uh, any justice of any kind, um, and B, uh, didn't actually happen because God would never allow such a beloved prophet like Jesus to go through the ignominy of a Roman cross. Mm-hmm. So those are the basic objections. And I had every one of those. Um, uh, and uh, they were varying in their intensity at various times, depending on who I was talking to. But those were the basic ones. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, you know, I was just thinking about uh, Abdu years ago, we had a chance to walk with Arthur Blessed through Israel, through the West Bank with the cross. Yeah, right. He's done this through every country in the world. And we came to Jericho mm-hmm. and uh, Arthur said this. He said, listen, when I go into Muslim areas, it brings in a crowd. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw men to myself. You think it would repel people? Crowds come out. So get ready for it. So all of a sudden we're coming through the marketplace. 
not far from the archaeological site in in Jericho. And uh, there there has to be like 100 people around us, probably more. And all of them were touching the cross, asking questions. Why are you here? There was a lot of smiles. There wasn't any kind of problems. But I kept seeing this guy out of the corner of my eye. And he was up on some steps and I could see the steam coming out of his ears. <laughs> he was angry yeah. and he made a beeline for me. And it was one of those four objectives. He finally said this. He said, Mr. Christian, mm -hmm. I'll become a believer if you can answer this question. If Jesus was God, why couldn't he get off the cross? That was mm -hmm. disgraceful. That mm -hmm. was humiliating for him. And so I was just trying to lowball things. And I said, Nimmer, that is the best question. I'm so glad you asked that. But man, that's an easy one too, because I did a lot of bad things. I'm a sinner and I've done things wrong in my life. I'm sure all of these people have. Maybe you've even thought you've done some things wrong in your life. And, and so Jesus stayed on the cross because he wanted to. He wanted to mm -hmm. be the sacrifice for our sins. Mm -hmm. Well, people around us kind of were listening and shaking their head not nimmer he turned around and made a u-turn and mm -hmm. left and he was angry but it's just those are the four kind of broken records mm -hmm. every mm -hmm. time it seems like right yeah yeah you know it's funny because here we are talking about how they're broken records in other words that there are issues that have repeated themselves over the 1400 year interaction between islam and christianity but it actually predates even 600 years before islam because that exact same question was asked by the jews of jesus is that if you are the son of god come down from that's there right. that's right um, save scripture. <laughs> yep here's what's interesting about that is that at that at that particular moment um, within, with, while Jesus is on that cross, you have a couple of things that are actually are going on. And then I want to veer off into a response to our Muslim friends on this. Um, so you have Jesus on this cross and he cannot possibly be God because he would never die such a shameful death. Um, and yet, and in fact, the, those who were spitting on him and persecuting him and mm -hmm. saying, you're not really the Messiah you're not the son of God come down from there. Um, they are, um, fulfilling messianic prophecy actually because in the old testament you see prophecy where it says and they will you know basically say you know he trusted in god let him deliver him if he delights in him mm -hmm. you know in other words come down from there if you really are the one you claim to right. be but of course the, pro the the whole point of isaiah 53 is to point us to the one who is the messiah who is the suffering messiah mm -hmm. so he's fulfilling that prophecy of what it means to uh, be on that cross and conquer not despite the dark mystery of evil, as James Stewart says in the strong name, but to conquer through the dark mystery of evil. What's really ironic is it's the pagan Roman who sees all this, who sees Jesus forgiving those who are reviling him, forgiving mm -hmm. the sinners for whom he is dying, who are mocking him for the very dying they desperately need him to do, um, who says, truly, this man was the son of God. Mm -hmm. So there was a recognition of my goodness i see this i see it all happening right in front of my eyes i see what's happening now and i want you to notice something it wasn't just that he was up there because a roman who worships might who worships the strong who who the whole point of strength and honor which is a, a value of the roman empire actually sees the strength and honor it takes to stay up on a cross to die for the very people who hate you and he sees that and says, truly, this man is the son of God. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if that guy got saved. I don't know. But if he did, and maybe he did, one day we're going to meet him. 
And yeah. I'm going to ask him some questions like, what was going through your head right before you said that? Um, I'd love to know. Yeah. Here's where I want to go with this, though. Here's where I want to go with this, because I often thought the same thing as a Muslim. The ignominy of the cross would be something unbefitting, not only of God's prophet, but God himself. My goodness, that would be awful. But here's the problem, okay? Here's the thing. What is the counter explanation the Muslim has? Here are the two possible counter explanations for what happens. Actually, there's three, one of which is, is, is sort of a newish argument, but it's not really an orthodox argument. One, Judas was Jesus's replacement. Jesus, a crucifixion happened, but it wasn't Jesus. It was Judas. And Judas was being punished for his betrayal of Jesus. And God brought Jesus out of that area, out of that thing, and it called him up into heaven. So he never would have um, uh, suffered that cross. The second one is actually one of the older um, uh, explanations Muslims give, and it's recorded in some of the most trusted commentaries within Islam, is that one of Jesus's disciples, a young boy who was actually a disciple, volunteered to be, uh, to look like Jesus, to be transformed to his likeness so that Jesus could escape. Um, and um, and that's why Jesus didn't die on a cross, but this other guy did voluntarily so. So it's not so much a punishment as it is an honor to stand in Jesus's place um, and uh, let the Jews and the Romans commit their sin. Those are the two explanations. The third one is um, newish. Uh, so in the sense that there's anything new, this is a newish one, but it's not really that new because other people thought of it before Muslims did. And Shabir Ali, who is if a prominent um, Muslim apologist, is... Um, a possible exponent of this is that Jesus was on that cross. He just didn't die. He survived. Um, He got down from there um, in the sense he was put in the tomb and escaped in some form or fashion. A lot of Ahmadi Muslims believe that, by the way, that he didn't really die on that cross, uh, that he was crucified but didn't die. Now, the history shows that that is just simply not the case. You can just show history that. Here's the problem with the first two explanations, though. There's two problems with it. The first problem is that it makes God into a liar mm. um, <clears throat> because everyone, including Jesus's own friends and his own mother and all the followers that came after him, all thought Jesus was on that cross and that it was Jesus who died. We have no written record of any kind um, in the er- that, that is credible and early enough for the disciples themselves or any of the women followers of Jesus to have said, we knew all along it was a fake. Mm. We don't have that. We don't have that. In fact, what we have is the New Testament record um, uh, replete with accounts of Jesus's death on the cross. Um, This is interesting because one, if God made someone else look like Jesus, whether it was Judas or a volunteer, then God's a liar. And he fools not only God's enemies, but he fools Jesus's followers. Mm. That's a problem for Muslims. One, because it makes God into a liar. And then if you can, if you can lie about this, what can't he lie about? Right. And what, why would you trust anything he says? Mm-hmm. Um, so he can't be al-Haq, which uh, al-Haq is the truth. And that's one of the 99 beautiful names of God in Islam. So if you believe that God is the truth, then you believe that he can't lie. Here's why. Because he is the truth. In him, there is no falsehood. So no falsehood can come out of him. So how could it possibly be that he lies? Uh, second is this, um, is that he's also a bit of a coward um, mm-hmm. because Jesus is about to die and asks either for a betrayer, he create a betrayer takes his place, which is a lie, or one of his followers takes his place. And I'm sorry, that's just way worse. That is way worse 
um, of, of a morality. I would never allow someone to go through that for me, especially someone I claim to love. Mm-hmm. Um, and so here's the thing. If Jesus escaped the cross by having a substitute for him, which you'll notice is the exact opposite of the gospel message, is that Jesus is our substitute, not That's we right. his. That's right. Um, <clears throat> if he did that, then he, what kind of a, of, of, of a God, what kind of a prophet is the kind of person who runs from persecution and suffering as opposed to the one who turns mm-hmm. it in on itself and actually takes the scheme, not for the, for the defeat of the enemy, but for the transformation of the enemy. So, you know, Muslims always say, Allahu Akbar, God is great, God is the greatest, which is why they say that there's no way Jesus could die on the cross and still be God. Well, what if it were the case that God devised a way to not be sullied by human nature, but to take it on and then die on a cross, not so that he could vanquish enemies or create some kind of ruse or some kind of elaborate lie, but so that he could use their own evil as a way to take on that evil himself, Mm. deal with it, and then save the very people who were being evil to him. I ask you, which God is greater? It's obvious. The answer is obvious. Oh, that's beautiful explanation. Wow. I love how you've connected not only your objections, but how you overcame them. And I'm sure there's a lot of listeners, if they're still Muslim or or from a Muslim background, that can completely relate to that. So I've I've got another question as your, as your, um, coming overcoming all these objections, Abdu. What was your discipleship process like? How did you grow, grow in faith in Christ? Were some of these answered a- after you came to faith in Christ, or did you have to kind of um, overcome all of those obstacles before you gave your life to Jesus? So I'm a pretty stubborn guy. So I would say that I have to actually overcome most of my obstacles. Um, you got to understand, and I'm sure you do, and you know this from your work with Muslims as well, is that it's not just a matter of changing your opinion. When you're talking about changing your worldview, you're talking about changing a conviction. And an opinion is something you hold with an open hand. You know, Coke or Pepsi, the chocolate or vanilla, it, you know, um, candidate A, candidate B. Am I, if, I'm, if I'm a moderate, it's, I can be vote Republican or I can vote Democrat. Whatever it happens to be, maybe you'll change your mind on those kind of things. And you can be persuaded because you allow yourself to be persuaded because opinions are the kind of things you allow to change. Mm-hmm. A conviction is something you hold with a closed fist, right. not in an angry way, but you hold it dear to you. So changing your convictions is far more difficult than changing your opinions because a conviction is something that actually helps to shape and define who you are. So you hold it with a closed fist. And when you try to pry open someone's closed fist, you ever try to do that? It's really hard. It hurts them and you. Um, And uh, that's what you do when you try to change someone's core conviction. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. What I am saying is that we have to recognize that it's God's moving that actually causes the grip to loosen. Mm. And then as we gently help, as God allows us to, um, that those fingers to open, um, there's some some discipleship that needs to come. So I say all that because um, there's costs to pay in changing your worldview, whether it's uh, issues of identity and who you think you are, and that's definitely true for me, uh, or relationships or whatever it is. And by the way, this is true of everybody, not just Muslims. Um, I had to make sure that I knew this was true because I didn't want to cause pain to me and people I love and everybody else. All kind of pain for something that eh, maybe it's true. It sounds mm-hmm. good. 
That's just not me. I'm just not that kind of a guy. Um, I want to know. Now, having said that, most of my objections, the issue about Jesus being God, resolved. The issue about the cross, resolved. The Trinity, not as much, uh, but but when I came to faith. Now, that didn't mean I didn't accept it. What it meant was I accepted it on faith um, and then worked it out later. Uh, what that means to me is this, and this is important, I think, uh, cause a lot of folks and me included for a while, I thought this for the longest time that I needed to have all my answers, all my questions answered before I could change my mind. Mm. Um, the reality is we don't believe anything like that. We don't believe in anything, whether it's constitutional republicanism of, uh, you know, to have a, a, a democratic government in the United States and uh, of the people, for the people and by the people. We don't even believe that with all of our questions answered. We don't believe in the, uh, that we're going to, that the spouse we're about to marry is the right one for us with every single question answered. It's impossible to know every single thing about a person before you marry them or even kind of <laughs> after. Um, you do it on, there's some level to which you have enough evidence to make decisions into the unknown, not blindly, but with enough to know you trust in the path that lies ahead because of the solidity of the path that lies mm-hmm. behind. Um, and I had enough evidence to know that this Christian message is worth believing, that Jesus is who he said he was, that he died on a cross and rose from the dead to, t- to pay for my sins and give me salvation. And that he and the Bible that I trust now because of the evidence explains a God who is one in his nature and three in his persons. I could take that on faith realizing I'm going to wrestle with this for a while after I come to faith. So I believed it. I affirmed it. Didn't quite get it, but I affirmed it enough to move forward. Uh, And it was over time through a discipleship process. I'm so glad you asked this, by the way, because that's such a key thing Mm -hmm. is to have a discipleship process Mm -hmm. and people in place. I I, I, uh, became part of a healthy, well-balanced church that that took the scriptures seriously um, and one other thing they did, and this is really important, especially for our, our, our friends who become Christians from any background that was hostile to the Christian faith, whether it's Islam, Hinduism, atheism, whatever, they didn't, they didn't, they weren't guilty of what I call trophy syndrome. Mm-hmm. Trophy syndrome is you take a new believer and you put them, uh, put a mic in front of their face or you put them on a platform and you have them speak about stuff. They're baby believers. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? You know? Uh, would you put a new believer from a Christian background uh, onto the stage and just give, let them have at it? Of course not. But for some reason in the church, we kind of do that sometimes. Um, so there was care taken to mm. engage me in Bible study, to ask me my opinions and offer some new ones, to challenge me when I had some views on some things that I wasn't quite sure about, when I had questions like, I'm not quite sure I understand the language here that Paul is using, or when Jesus uses this parable, I think I get it, but I'm not sure I totally get it. Uh, Even when I wrestled with issues of grace, because I have vestiges, you know, of a works-based system, you -hmm. still have those vestiges, you still have that guilt that sticks with you, but I'm not being a good enough Christian. My goodness, does God love me? Then you get terrified of passages like, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do all these things? And Jesus says, get away from me, workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And you're like, wait, 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 what? Am I I saved? You know, all that stuff requires discipleship. It requires a healthy community 
praise God. So that's so what glad you had a yeah. safe place to do that. I mean, there's a lot of um, discipleship where maybe people don't feel safe to ask those tough questions. Mm-hmm. And were you like college age at this point or were, how old were you then, Abdu? I was uh, out of law school, actually. I was, uh, oh, okay. I came to faith in my late 20s and um, was uh, through going through the discipleship process. Then, um, got, I got news for you. I'm still going through it. Um, yeah. Oh my goodness. There's so many, you know, what's funny. Uh, apologetics can be like this, by the way. And for any aspiring apologists, Christians who are listening to this, you want to do use apologetics. Like I've, which was how the Lord drew me. Um, uh, apologetics is a wonderful discipline, but it can be a dangerous one. Like, like everything, this side of heaven, there's a light mm-hmm. side and a shadow side. The shadow side to apologetics, which is just simply comes from the Greek word apologia, which means a defense. Mm-hmm. Um, the shadow side of it is that it, it stops becoming the art and science of Christian persuasion and starts becoming the art of making someone else sorry they asked. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And so I had some growing up to do. You know, I had used apologetics all throughout my my journey, nine years. I mean, this is going to sound like a brag, but um, there were times when I was talking to Christians who had been believers for 10, 15 years. And I was asking questions about what Paul meant in Romans when he said thus and such. And they're like, he says that in Romans? I'm like, and they didn't know. Didn't you read it? Um, now, they weren't bad Christians. Wow. It's just I was probing deeply. Mm-hmm. And so that created a sense of pride mm. and discipleship's all about knocking that out of you. Yeah, that's um, true. Uh, so I got a ways to go. You know, we all do. Mm-hmm. Um, and thank God for a good pastor uh, and his wife. I love those two people with all mm-hmm. my heart. Um, and a good church that embraced me and was like family. Um, good friends who journeyed with me along the way. My, my dear wife, fun. who's a, a praying woman whose devotion life is just second to none. Mm-hmm. So wow. it's all about community. It's all about community. Yeah. It sure is. Well, oh, okay, Abdu, uh, we get this question all the time. I'm sure you do. Uh, we have Muslim neighbors on the block. How do I start a relationship? What do I do? Uh, I'm not even sure. What would you say to someone that is praying for Muslims and they would like to engage them, but they don't know where to start? Yeah, um, <laughs> what a great question. I'll tell you this, um, uh, whether they just moved in or they've been down the, down the street for 10 years and you've never made an effort, uh, one, don't let it bother you. Muslims are, um, they, they tend to come from, not always, but they tend to come from countries where hospitality is a cardinal virtue. Mm-hmm. So right. um, the very fact that you haven't reached out is almost as telling of their to them of your lack of love for them as anything. And I'm not saying it's true, but because the, the hospitality is so, so valued in Muslim contexts that a lack of it, a lack of it is perceived as you are hostile. Um, so you can shatter the stereotype by doing one simple thing, make a tray of sweets, or if you're nervous about the halal thing, cause you can't use shortening in, in halal, halal treats and all that kind of stuff. Um, Make it without animal shortening if you can help it, um, or go to the bakery because you know Muslims are everywhere. There's an Arabic bakery, I'm sure, mm-hmm. down the road uh, from you. Get a tray of it, walk over to their house, actually walk there, ring the actual doorbell, do the actual thing. No one does anymore. Ring the doorbell. If no one comes, that's fine. Leave a note with the tray on the front mm-hmm. porch that says, we're the thus and such, we're the Smiths from down the street. Um, uh, we've wanted to reach out for some time and just connect with you. So um, and we're so glad to have done it. We hope we can get dinner sometime together. Here are some halal sweets for you. 
um, you would be surprised how far that will go. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh my um, gosh. You know that's what? You, you giving your heart, not just a tray of sweets. That's giving your heart. It really to them. is. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, you, you want to do something simple, something super simple to start a conversation and relationship with someone. You go to a Lebanese restaurant or a Middle Eastern. I, I say Lebanese because it's the food of heaven. But um, if you so if you want to do that, you uh, your Muslim neighbor or whatever, and if they're Arabic, if they're not Arabic, this won't work. Um, but find out what their language actually is. And um, as you walk your dog, you walk past or whatever it is, and they're mowing their lawn or they're doing their gardening or they're like, checking their mail, whatever, say marhaba. Marhaba means hello. And you will shock them like you wouldn't believe, yes. especially if you're not as olive-skinned as me. Um, <laughs> they'll be like, what? And they'll, they'll say, they'll say, like, do you know Arabic? And you'll say, no, that's the one word Wait, I know, but it means hello. That's great. <laughs> it just means hello. Mm-hmm. And all that means is you cared enough to learn one word. Mm-hmm. And you've got I an like instant that. friend, instant friend. And so, over so time, personal. you'll have conversations with them that are valuable. So create a relationship for its own sake. Um, evangelism is part of what it means to be a Christian. Um, So I'm not saying don't do that. Of course, I'm an evangelist. I want you to do that. But um, it doesn't have to be every 10 seconds. Um, What it can, evangelism sometimes is just by how you live your life. And if you live your life in a way that makes them love you, trust you, and care about you at the right time, because proclamation evangelism is is a must. It's Mm -hmm. not an option. People say it'll come, it'll come when it comes, but it's going to have to come eventually. That's right. At some some point with that neighbor, you've impressed because you really care about them and want to to be hospitable to them, hospitable to them. At some point, you can ask them an easy question. It's the easiest question in the world to ask them. And it's one they'll give an answer to. What do you think of Jesus? Mm-hmm. They have an opinion and they want to share it. Mm-hmm. And then just listen for a while and then ask follow-up questions. It's not rocket science. It really isn't. Mm. Wow. Wow. So practical. This is really helpful. And you know what, uh, Abdu, we have a list of questions we still want to do, but this is for another time. One of the things we want to get into you, with you is artificial intelligence. How, how yeah. can you use that? What are the dangers? That's a whole program on, yeah. on its own. But, but as we close, I thought we would just have Joanne do a short prayer for Muslims. They're all around us. We say this, the Muslims are coming. The Muslims are coming. The Muslims are here. So what are we going to do about mm-hmm. it? We're going to reach mm-hmm. out to them as neighbors. We're going to ignore them. Uh, it's it's an opportunity to speak into one fifth of the world mm-hmm. is Muslim, mm-hmm. and we can do that. And simple things like you've shared uh, are gold for us. That's, That's right for sure. Well, and, and thank you for making this so simple to buy a, a tray of sweets. And I like that you've suggested to do that instead of making something because I think you're right. The whole halal thing That's can right. not only you know make us back away, but also for them to receive it, they may wonder well, what did they really make these brownies with? Is there shortening mm-hmm. in these cookies or what have mm-hmm. you? So, you know. Going out and buying a a tray of sweets at a local Arabic bakery is a great idea. And then that one simple, two simple things, actually, marhaba, you know, how are you? And then when you get to know them a little bit, I love that. What do you think of Jesus? And we have found as we engage Muslims, we are not shy about our faith. And one Mm -hmm. thing I love to say is you're a woman of faith. If I'm talking to a woman, I'm a woman of faith. We just happen maybe to believe different things, but we both love God. I would love to hear what you think and love to share with you what I believe. And Mm -hmm. 
and not shying away from Jesus from the beginning, I found, because the longer you wait to bring him into the conversation, the harder it is to bring him up later. Mm -hmm. So if you can do it from the beginning, that makes a big difference. Absolutely. So so true. And you know, Joanne, when you just say that, when you say mahraba or just any Arabic word, uh, kifalik, how are you? That will put a smile on their face. That shows friend, not foe. And I'm telling you that second question or third or fourth, when you start talking about Jesus goes down a lot easier when they sense that you have a compassion for them. That's so, right. And they yeah. know that our faith is important to us just as theirs is to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we close in prayer? And we'd love to have another conversation with you, Abdu. There's, we could just do this all day because we I'd love be delighted you. to do that. Yeah, please. Thank you for the opportunity. And I'd love to have another one. Well, thank you. Well, let's pray. Father, um, you have told us to go into the world and to share the gospel with everyone. And you've also brought the world to us. When I think about the 1040 window and how we used to pray that you would send missionaries into the 1040 window because it was such a dangerous place, you know, the latitude and longitude on our globe. And, and that area is all of the Middle East and Central Asia. And you've answered that prayer in such a unique way and that you have brought the people from the 1040 window to us. They are here in our backyards in the United States. And the missionaries that we used to pray for that would go and share the gospel with these dear people is all of us. Mm -hmm. And so, Father, may all of us, each one of us, those that are listening and all of us, Jesus, have a heart to reach those lost people that are everywhere. They're in our neighborhoods. They're in our workplaces. They're in our schools. May we have the boldness to reach out in relationship and get to know these dear people who are looking for truth, even though they may not be aware of it. Truly, in their heart, all of us, we want truth. So thank you for the simple steps that Abdu shared with us today. May we take those to heart and, and exercise them, put them into practice. And we pray right now that you would cross our path in our neighborhood, in our workplaces, all in our, wherever we shop, wherever we go, to cross paths with Muslims whose hearts you are preparing so that we can have a conversation with them and see where you will bring that because you desire that none should perish apart from you. Father, thank you for Abdu. Thank you for the ministry that you've given him. Thank you for his family and those that he serves and loves. Continue to use him for the kingdom, we mm-hmm. pray. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you so much for this time together that we can learn more on how to grow in our faith and how to share it with others. And we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uncharted Ministries podcast. We've had the privilege of having Abdu Murray with us today, founder and CEO of Embrace the Truth. And we were privileged to film him on I Found the Truth, our video ministry that we're uh, privileged to be a part of. And uh, boy, check it out. Uh, I found the truth.com, Abdu Murray's video. Pass it on to a neighbor. Just say, hey, I heard this guy. His family's from Lebanon. And what do you think of this? You'd, you never know. You could engage Muslims in a conversation. 1.3 million people have watched it in just two months, and it's growing by the thousands every day. So, Abdu, great to have you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Thank you guys.